Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Hebrews 1.3 says, Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Just think of how he himself all by himself, all alone, he made all of our sins to be purged away, completely purged away out of God's sight. And when he by himself, all alone, became our sacrifice, it was once for all. It was a once for all sacrifice, as it says in Hebrews 9.26. Hebrews 9.26 says, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The sacrifice of himself alone. He didn't have any need for any sacrifice for himself. He didn't have any sins of his own that needed to be atoned for. And therefore, he could by himself alone with one sacrifice purge all of our sins. That's what it says in Hebrews 7.26. Hebrews 7.26 says, For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests, those high priests, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. He gave himself once. That was it. No more was required, not for himself. It was a once for all. When John the Baptist saw him for the first time, he saw John the Baptist is there. His whole ministry has been about preparing the people for his coming. He's been focused on him. He's been speaking on him. He's been saying, he must increase, I must decrease. And then he sees him. He sees him for the very first time. And he says, oh, look, there's the Lamb of God who with the help of no one else, he will take away the sins of the world. That's what he said in John 1.29. He didn't say, oh, look, there's the Lamb of God, and with the help of another person, he's going to take away the sins of the world. He didn't say that. He said in John 1.29, the next day when Jesus seeth coming, coming unto him and saith, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And he might as well have just have said, behold, the Lamb of God, who alone taketh away the sins of the world. That's what he meant. 
When Isaiah went to describe his work, Isaiah, Isaiah, the center of the Bible, it all comes down to Isaiah 53. It's like a great crescendo. And Isaiah 53, he's describing his work of atonement, and he uses these words in Isaiah 53, 4, Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he, he might as well have said he alone, surely he alone hath borne our griefs, and he alone hath carried our sorrows, even though we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he, he might as well have said he alone was wounded for our transgressions. He alone was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him alone, and with his stripes alone we are healed. He was all alone. So the first reason why it's finished is because he suffered all alone by himself to accomplish our redemption. He did it all alone, just by himself. Now, in our business, in our business at Scanabody's Lab, we have many contracts. Some are good contracts, some are bad contracts, but we have contracts. And there's always, and so when you get, you you get uh, proposed a contract, and you go through the various parts, and some of them are like, you know, uh, force majeure or, you know, acts of God. Okay, fine, we don't concentrate so much on that. But then you get to the part where it says term, and that's almost where we immediately go to because that's the part of the contract that states for how long the contract's going to be in force. Now, we always want the term, because we're the supplier, we always want the term to be as long as possible, like 20 years. But most of our contracts are not 20 years. Most of our contracts are two to five years. And the reason we worry about the term is because we know that after that time that we have to start all over again from the beginning, a renegotiation of the new contract. Well, what's so wonderful about the contract of redemption is that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he made it for us, the term says everlasting. It says everlasting. It never has to be redone because God made this everlasting contract of redemption when it says in Isaiah 55.3, Isaiah 55.3, Incline your ear and come unto me here and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. It's, it, it, because it's everlasting, it's sure and it has our confidence. It says in 2 Samuel 23.5, 2 Samuel 23.5, Although my house be not so with God, he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure, and this is all my salvation. It's an everlasting covenant. It's an everlasting contract because it's a contract that has been obtained by his blood. By his blood. It says in Hebrews 9.12, Hebrews 9.12, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For the blood of bulls and goats and of the ashes of the heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Hebrews 13.20 also emphasizes this everlasting term in the contract where it says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. You might as well say contract there. Through the blood of the everlasting contract. That's the second reason 
why it's finished. Because our redemption is everlasting. Now, when we honestly look, when we really look at our own righteousnesses, when we look at our own righteousness, we see we don't, it's not righteous at all. We just say we're not righteous at all. Jeremiah put it in, 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 in I mean, Isaiah put it in, in, uh, in Isaiah 64, 6, Isaiah 64, 6, when he said, we are all as an unclean thing. We might as well be walking around with a badge that says DRS, dirty, rotten sinner. That's what it means when it says we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf. Our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. They've blown us away. If our redemption depends in any way on our righteousness, we are finished. We have an imperfect contract. We have an imperfect redemption. But what's so wonderful about our redemption is that it involves for us an obtaining, an obtaining of God's righteousness. That's what the Lord Jesus did for us on the cross, is he made us to be covered in God's righteousness. And that's a great word, made, made, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he hath made him to be sin or to be the sin offering for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That word is also used in Romans 5.19, Romans 5.19, where it says, for as by one man's disobedience, that be Adam, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, that be us. So by the obedience of one, that be the Lord Jesus Christ, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous, that be us. Many be made righteous. First Corinthians 1.30 says, First Corinthians 1.30 says, but of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification and redemption. We're covered. We're covered in the righteousness of God. And that's the cause of great rejoicing. As Isaiah said, when he realized this in Isaiah 61.10, Isaiah 61.10, Isaiah said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation and hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. Real righteousness, not ours, good so-called good works, but God's righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. So us being covered in the righteousness of God, that's a great possession. That's the greatest possession. When the Lord Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world? That's possessions. A man's life consists and lose his own soul. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. But this is a possession of the greatness it's God's righteousness, and that's why it says in Isaiah 45, 24, 45, 24, surely shall one say in the Lord, have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come. Us being clothed in the righteousness of God, when the Jewish people are clothed in the righteousness of God, it's going to become their slogan, and it's our slogan. 
As we see it in Jeremiah 33, 16. Jeremiah 33, 16. In those days shall Judah be saved and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith she shall be called. Her slogan, her title. And the name is the Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. That's the third reason why it is finished because it is finished because we have been covered in God's righteousness instead of, thank God, our own righteousness. Now, we sometimes say, well, the gospel is Christ died for our sins. That's not the full gospel. That's not the full gospel. The full gospel is given to us in 1 Corinthians 15.3. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. That's not the end. That's not the end. The next verse says, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The full gospel is that he died for our sins and he was buried. So often that's forgotten. He was buried and he rose again the third day. He was buried. Why is that so important? It's a very important detail because it confirms his death. Only dead people are buried. And if they're not dead, they will be dead. And that's the reason why the Lord Jesus waited so long after Lazarus died before he raised Lazarus from the dead. He was away. He says, okay, uh, Lazarus, he knew Lazarus was dead. But then he says, now we're going to wait here. We're going to stop. We're going to wait here. It was to confirm that Lazarus really was dead. And it actually became an issue when he went there in, in, in Bethany 2, in John eleven thirty nine. 39. John eleven thirty nine. it says, Jesus said, when he got to Lazarus' grave, it says, Jesus says, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, now he's called the one that's dead. Not Lazarus, but now he's dead. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days, as if he didn't know. It was that time, it was that time of four days that the corpse of Lazarus stunk that confirmed his death. You know, just last week there was an employee at the CVS pharmacy down in National City, and, the, and, the, and there was a, a, a truck in the, in the parking lot, and there was a terrible smell coming out of the truck. So they went to investigate, and sure enough, there was a woman who had slumped over the steering wheel there. She was dead, and she stunk. The smell is terrible. There is nothing like the, st- the stench of, of a dead body that's been left for a while. It's terrible. The Lord was in the grave three days to prove that he was dead. Actually, even the three days weren't necessary because Pilate confirmed it because when, he, when, when, he, when the body was being requested, when the body of the Lord Jesus was being requested by Joseph of Arimathea, we read in, in Mark 15, 43, Mark 15, 43, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled if he were already dead. And calling to him the centurion, he asked him whether he had been any while dead. Now here we're just talking about a few hours. Any while dead. And when he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. So he confirmed his death. The death, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ was so important to be confirmed that that's why it says 
He died for our sins and was buried. And we know he was there for three days. It says that in Isaiah 53, 9. Isaiah 53, 9. He made his grave with the wicked that be buried. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. And, and, and that he gave this ultimate sacrifice by dying where he could give no more than that. That's the fourth reason why it's finished. The fourth reason why our redemption was finished is because when he died, he gave his all. There was nothing more he could give for our redemption. Now, when we sinned, we incurred a great debt. And the payment for that debt was very simple. The payment is cast into hell. That's it. It only took one sin for us to incur that debt of being cast into hell. This last week when I, I told the person that I, that I have worked with 30 years ago, I told them that. I said it only takes one sin to, be, to, to get the debt of being cast into hell. He said, no, no. But I explained to him, that's God's standards. That's, that's because of God's holiness. It only takes one sin to cast a person into hell. He couldn't believe it, but it's true. And there, because the Bible says in Ezekiel, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul that sins one time, it shall die. That's true. We have thousands of sins. We have thousands of reasons why we should be cast into hell. And the only way that we could be spared from being cast into hell is if a ransom could be found to pay for our sins. Some people, out of love, you know, in the, in the, in the nephrology area, and you read about this, some people, they, they have a relative, they love that relative so much, that relative has kidney failure. They said, I'll donate a kidney. And, 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 or sometimes just out of love and uh, uh, great generosity, someone will say, oh, my student had kidney failure. I gave a kidney. I gave a kidney. I gave a kidney for another person to live. And, 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 and some people might even donate their own life, might even just say, I'll give my life for another to live. But the Bible makes it clear that even if another person dies to pay the ransom for another person's sin, that ransom is not enough. As it says in Psalm 49.7, Psalm 49.7, none of them can give by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. There's only one person. There's only one person who was sinless, one person who was without spot, one person who was without blemish. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. He said that he came to earth for that one purpose in Mark 10, 45, Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The Lord Jesus Christ personally became our ransom as he looked, and, 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 and for us, he looked the grave and he looked death right in the face, right in the eyes of death and the grave. And he challenged death and the grave with these words in Hosea 13, 14, Hosea 13, 14, and just picture the Lord Jesus now looking death in the grave right in the eyes. And he says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. 
I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. We're no match for the power of the grave and for the, and for death. You know what we're like? We're like the Israelites when Goliath appeared. They ran. They ran away. They ran away when Goliath appeared on the battleground. They cowered in corners. And the, so do we before the grave and death. But then David stepped out. David stepped out on the battlefield and he faced off with Goliath. And he told Goliath, I'm going to take your head off and I'm going to give your flesh for those birds, those vultures up there to eat today. And so the Lord Jesus Christ looked the grave and death in the face and said, I will be your plagues. I will be your destruction. You just met your defeat. That's what he did when he personally became our ransom and he died for our sins. And of course, we're very, we're very happy. We're very happy for our own sakes that he paid the full ransom for our souls and he kept us from being cast into hell. But you know what? There's actually someone else who is thrilled that a full ransom has been paid. You know who that is? That's God the Father. That's God the Father. And he speaks about this joy in Job 33, 24, Job 33, 24, where he says, deliver him from the pit. I have found a ransom. He's overjoyed. God the Father is rejoicing as he shouts out, I found a ransom. He doesn't have to be cast into hell. Now, we're going to take communion. We're going to have communion here. We're going to have the breaking of bread. I want to suggest to us today, every time, you know, every time we do communion, every time we have communion, it needs to be with fresh oil. There has to be freshness, a freshness to it all. Not just the, well, I do this when we do this. No, there's got to be a fresh thought. So let me suggest that today when we do this, that we, as we take the bread and as we take the, 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 the juice, let's just say in our hearts, God found a ransom for my soul. God found a ransom. Take the bread. God found a ransom for my soul. Take the cup. God found a ransom for my soul. So today, we've seen five very real reasons why speaking about our redemption, that it is finished because, number one, it's finished because he redeemed us all by himself alone. Number two, it's finished because our redemption contract with God is everlasting. There's no termination clause. It's for everlasting. Number three, it's finished because our redemption means we're covered in God's righteousness. None of our righteousness has anything to do with our redemption. And number four, it's finished because he died, he was buried to purchase our redemption. That was the ultimate sacrifice when he died and was buried. And there's nothing more that he could have done for us. He gave it all. Held back nothing. And number five, it's finished because he paid the ransom for our souls. And that ransom was accepted by God who said, I have found a ransom. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for finding a ransom, for sending the ransom. And thank you, Lord, that now as we celebrate your ransom that you've found for our souls that we can do that now by taking these elements in Jesus' name. Amen.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Do you have fatigue or trouble getting out of bed or just getting through the day? Are you so tired you can't focus? Do you feel like your life is drained away? Do you have fibromyalgia headaches? I have good news for you. Our doctors at Scanabody's Imaging and Therapy can give you cellular ozone therapy. Why not get your energy back now by calling us at 1-888-529-9016 or visit us at treatmyfatigue.com. 